0: can sign up for the podcast feed there, and the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys, introducing Barrett Brown uh, from Project PM, I guess I should say, and also from Twitter. He's Barrett B, and it's two R's and two T's on Barrett. And uh, we first made his acquaintance on this show back a decade ago when he was serving as a semi-official spokesman for Anonymous in their heyday and a uh, partisan of WikiLeaks uh, during the Manning leak and all of that great stuff. And, man, he's been a federal president back and was a Russiagate truther there for a while and has had all kinds of adventures we need to catch up on. Uh, so welcome back to the show. How you doing there, Barrett?
1: Fantastic, fantastic. Had a complicated 11 years, but uh, it's nice to be able to update you on that
0: yeah well so um you know i i covered your story on the show uh from time to time while you were in prison and uh made a habit of reading all your articles that you wrote for was it d magazine and for the intercept and different things while you're in there so uh it's been a little while but yeah i'm somewhat familiar with what's going on and in fact maybe that's a good place to start can you take us back to the hb gary leak and the, all the stuff that got you in trouble with the feds in the first Absolutely. place and how you went to prison and all that.
1: Absolutely. So I was brought into anonymous, uh, in early, late 2010 in order to help with the Tunisian uh, revolution, which had just begun in which a uh, number of individuals in and out of the country, uh, were helping with the Tunisian nationals, Tunisian exiles, uh, a number of others, uh, others among us. And, uh, about a month after that, we discovered that a former uh, air force uh, or, no, sorry. Navy intelligence officer named Aaron Barr, who ran HP Gary, he was the CEO of HP Gary Federal, a contracting intelligence contracting firm, uh, had infiltrated the uh, Internet Relay Chat uh, server that from 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 which a lot of this anonymous stuff happened. A lot of it was organized the uh, Tunisian the Tunisian Revolution, Arab Spring aid efforts, uh, other things. And uh, upon the, at that point, a bunch of several of the hackers uh, that I was acquainted with, um, they went in and took. Uh, all of uh, Aaron Barr's files, uh, all, all the company's files and that of their, their parent company, H.P. Gary. Uh, and over the next couple of weeks, uh, several things were discovered, uh, part, some, some by us, some by other journalists, uh, some by, you know, in the course of crowdsource research going forth on Twitter and so forth. Uh, the main thing was Team Themis. This was a uh, consortium of intelligence contracting firms, uh, including Palantir, which is now better known, uh, and a few others that were put together with the help of the DOJ uh, and Hutton and Williams, a lobbying firm in DC, to serve as a sort of uh, uh, black ops uh, strike team for uh, clients like Bank of America and US Chamber of Commerce, uh, both of which had sought out uh, assistance in going after things like WikiLeaks, going after those who supported WikiLeaks, journalists like uh, Glenn Greenwald, uh, a number of others, uh, going after Anonymous uh, since they identified us as a key sort of support vector for these kind of things. Uh, and also going at unrelated groups like uh, cham- Stop the Chamber, Code Pink, groups that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce had separately uh, been opposed to. Anyway, so Congress started to investigate this and then uh, the DOJ, uh, the, the chairman of the committee in question, Judiciary Committee, uh, Republican of Texas, whose name, I excuse me right now said that the DOJ should be the one to decide if a crime had been committed. Now, of course, the DOJ was heavily involved in this. Uh, has been reported already. So they were not in a hurry to determine if any crimes has been committed. And in fact, instead, they came after us. And so around that time, the uh, first sealed ran jury search warrants started being filed on me and those around me, uh, uh, you know, listing the fact that I had called Palantir, this firm, called HB, Ingame uh, Systems, Systems. Uh, to ask them why they've been doing these things. Um, and so I kept running for the Guardian, uh, pulling, you know, putting out some of the stuff we came across. And uh, over the next year or so, this, these things escalated, and uh, we knew we were being investigated and so forth. And finally, they, they in March 2012, I was raided by the FBI. FBI also raided my mom's home. Uh, next day, DOJ tells me that my mom is also now under investigation for... Uh, um, uh, the same thing Hillary was uh, under, supposedly under investigation for, I can't what the term... Uh, Structure of justice. And so that made me upset. Uh, but I kept my mouth shut for a few months, uh, at her request. Then, uh, upon determining upon receiving a number of materials, showing the full extent or the partial extent, uh, of how the FBI had pursued all this and what, what they had allowed their, uh, compensated informants and cooperators to do to us and to family members and to people, uh, children of, of women, you know, I was dating and that kind of thing. Uh, I, I could have lost, having lost, uh, any hope of, 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 getting the press at this point to take these things seriously and having lost and having known that my family was now uh, on the chopping block. Uh, I made up several videos laying out this case as best I could at the time. And, uh, you know, saying that, that if the FBI screwed with my mom again, if, if they, if they came back at this point, you know, uh, I was going to defend myself, uh, and so I was hit by a SWAT team the uh, next day. Uh, that was recorded on live streams, since I, was, I did a lot of live streams at that time um, with my volunteers and so forth. And I uh, ended up being charged 105 years' worth of offenses, uh, mostly for copying and pasting a link from, uh, it's posted in one of the Anon, the same Anon server, anonymous server, uh, to uh, information, materials taken from Stratfor, another intelligence contracting firm that is heavily involved in a lot of the stuff that would, go, would happen in the years to come. Uh, Copying and pasting a link to that firm, the materials that have been hacked from that firm and sharing it with my research group, Project PM, uh, and also uh, interference with the search warrant, obstruction of justice for hiding laptops from the FBI before they had a warrant, and, uh, you know, conspiracy to uh, – to, um, Put out pub- identifying information about federal uh, officials, FBI agents, so forth, and threatening an FBI agent. And so, I fought that case for two and a half years. They were they were trying very hard to get me to plead to just one of the eleven counts of linking, which would have been a very dangerous precedent. Uh, would have endangered journalists, researchers all over. To the extent the DOJ wanted to go after them, which of course is, you know, that's that's they tend to do that when you're doing something that is considered dangerous to the establishment. Uh, and was able to hold out, and finally they had to drop most of those charges, and I pled to some lesser charges that didn't really endanger anyone. Uh, The the chief one being calling up Stratford after the hack of Stratford and offering to help ensure that any materials that these hackers were about to release, um, one of the hackers was actually an FBI cooperator, it turns out, uh, offering to redact anything in those materials that they were saying they were going to dump, if those materials could get someone killed, one of their contacts killed, like an authority, foreign country, whatever, you know, any, anything that could should legitimately not be put out. And so for making that phone call, I was uh, I uh, was tagged with uh, accessory after the fact. And then there was also the threatening uh, FBI agent charge, which was also quite questionable in terms to the search warrant. Did four years in prison, uh, two years uh, of probation afterwards and have since then probably been allowed to leave the country. Uh, so I went to Antigua late last year and then from there came to the U.K., where I was arrested again in May. So I hope that covers the basics.
0: Yeah. And I know you're seeking asylum in the UK right now. Is that right?
1: Yes. Which I guess uh, well, getting I,
0: arrested there has complicated that.
1: Yeah. In fact, yeah, I, I, I've been openly talking about getting moving to another country, preferably Germany, for years now. Um, this, this Mostly because I was rearrested again after my release from prison for giving an interview to Vice without the permission of a Bureau of Prisons official who had no right to you know, uh, give prior restraints or, or, or enforce prior restraint um, on journalists for talking to me. I was obviously allowed to do interviews with journalists. I did some from prison. Anyway, so I was rearrested without any paperwork, a you know, warrant or anything by the U.S. Marshal Service. Got out a few days later when one of my publishers hired a major law firm to threaten them. And so that was enough to tell me that I needed to get out of the U.S. eventually if I wanted to That was to last year? Them. This would, uh, that, that happened in 2017, that, mm-hmm. that arrest. And there was other, other incidents since, including this bomb threat that was uh, made to a magazine I wrote for in Dallas, D Magazine actually, one of the ones I did the column for, uh, after I had done some work on exposing uh, some elements of the, the murder of Botham Jean, a uh, black man in Dallas by a white police officer, Amber Geiger. Uh, and the police were caught covering that up, lying about it, several, in several recordings and emails to my city councilman, all, uh, all, all these things anyway, just went on and on. Uh, and so ultimately I decided, probably what I should have realized years ago, which is that the U.S. is not somewhere where I can continue to operate if I want to keep my materials, if I want to stay out of prison, uh, ensure that my loved ones are safe from uh, both official and unofficial uh, you know, persecution to try to get to me. And so, uh, yeah, so I, I dec- upon being arrested uh, in, in here in the U.K. for holding up part of someone else's banner at a protest against expanded police powers... Uh, upon being arrested, after two days, I was uh, moved to an uh, immigrant uh, removal center uh, near the Gatwick Airport here in London. And then I declared asylum from there uh, with a different branch of the home office and the one that had falsified paperwork to get me uh, put in that that institution. That's one of the things that, that uh, one can do in these situations. Uh, whenever there's a plot uh, and, and you know about it and you can document it, but whatever uh, – there, there's. It's very unusual for the authorities in question, whatever faction is involved, to tell every single branch, like, "Hey, we're plotting against Barrett Brown here or Assange." Like, you know, beware. So obviously, if you go around them to some other d- division that doesn't know everything, doesn't know that this is an unusual situation, doesn't know that you've already kind of, that you're already, you know, uh, de facto uh, have no rights, then you can you can complicate things for them. So, I I've been intending to do a good asylum claim either in the UK or preferably Germany for a while. Obviously, the U.K. was not my first choice, uh, but by doing that, I forced them to release me from that from that center rather than deport me back to the U.S., where apparently the FBI has sealed warrants uh, for me uh, that we know about from recordings provided to me since then by an FBI source, who was also one of our people for a while, so on and so forth. Do you know anyway, what so- charges we don't. We don't. Uh, there, there's a number of things, you know, it, obviously it's hard to figure out exactly what the DOJ is going to charge you with. I mean, that's that was definitely my experience back in 2011 when they were talking about, you know, fraud. And obviously I couldn't quite figure out what, what I would have done to fraud anybody. And of course, the DOJ hadn't determined that yet either. And their charges ended up having to be dropped. But uh, in this case, I mean, there's a number of clues, one of which is a superseding indictment that came out uh, against WikiLeaks. Uh, last year that uh, references my old website for Project PM, Echelon 2, without actually naming it or naming me. But they do point out in the superseding indictment, one of the central facts of the case is that Assange, oh, was is it Sabu, Hector Monsegur, who was the FBI, the guy the FBI turned, who was one of the anonymous hackers involved in that strapper hack I went down for the first time, uh, they've been using that strapper hack for years to try to get Assange. They used it successfully to get Jeremy Hammond, another, another of our hackers, and to get me. Uh, in the superseding indictment, they point to Hector de Monsegur having approached Assange and asked for, a tar- for targets, you know, intelligence contractors. Assange sends him a link to, uh, you know, what the DOJ refers to as a website that lists some of these firms. And that was our website. Um, the fact that they don't mention that website um, is uh, important for several reasons. Uh, it does show that they, they know where they're vulnerable. They don't want to go into some of these issues, the DOJ. That's, that's where I hope to hit them back on. Uh, and it also, of course, does show that they uh, would prefer not to have me at large, um, given the things that I've uh, that they know I have um, on all of this. So that may or may not be exactly what they'll charge me with, something involving that. Um, obviously, it, it, they prefer to use pretexts that confuse the issue. For instance, this, this arrest in May for uh, holding part of a banner. You know, I was the only one of the people who made the banner and so forth that actually got arrested for it. Uh, so it's hard to say. Um, I've, I mean, I've, I've, I've done a number of things that have countered the FBI's operations in the U.S. in the last couple of years. Uh, uh, for instance, helping to helping other groups, organizations, uh, particularly black activists who have been pursued by the FBI or intimidated by them or an agent stops by their house, leaves a card, tries to get a younger member to uh, try to intimidate them into cooperating. And I've intervened at their request, uh, you know, on a couple of occasions similar to that. So that could be it too. There's, there's, any, there's no way of telling. Just it goes back. It all tracks back to my, you know, my first grand grand jury sealed search warrants from early 2011 after HB Gary that cite me simply calling In Game Systems or Palantir. That that kind of shows you what uh, what it is that they can start a investigation yeah. based on, which is well, almost like anything different. at all. I mean, yeah. in a few they, ways, yeah. it
0: sounds like they're trying to break the back of the First Amendment's protection of freedom of the press, and using you as the excuse to do it. In a sense, right? Like they, the, prosecuting you excuses. for posting yeah. a link—that was unprecedented, right?
1: Uh, absolutely, that it was, and and th- and luckily, they, it's a good thing they did that because by doing that, uh, and mentioning Stratford and all that, going into those things, they really made it easy for us. I mean, not easy, but viable for us. Uh, to point to the press, I mean, even New York Times, Time Magazine, U.S. All of these mainstream outlets eventually got the point. It took a lot of work on our part to show them, but they did get the point that this was about uh, the things we had revealed and continued to investigate for the last year that they had done, that the DOJ had done, FBI had done. Uh, Lauren, well, you mentioned like in you time.
0: know the in Assange's superseding indictment there, where they're trying to claim that him encouraging Manning. To break into military computers and get secrets, account amounts to not journalism, but a, a co-conspirator relationship with a hacker. Trying to essentially redefine Assange as a leaker rather than a leaky, when he's that's all he is is he's a publisher. But they're trying to twist it and make it where he's a co-conspirator in the hack here. And then it sounds like there's, it sounds like you're saying that in that same indictment, they refer to. Uh, him uh, telling the FBI informant, Assange telling an FBI informant to go look at your website for an example of the names of firms that he might want to target and saying that that amounts to conspiring with or attempting to criminally conspire with this FBI informant to help him somehow break the law, hack a thing, whatever. But if you just change the names out, and it's James Risen or it's Charlie Savage or some scumbag like that, then um, this would be, you know, what you would consider their job, right? Telling their sources, hey, you should go and get me some data, man, and I'm going to publish it in the Times. It's the exact same thing. And those
1: examples you cited. So we have much, much better examples, worse worse examples uh, of, of that kind of thing being done or things that go well beyond that being done without any, any, uh, much of even a pretext of journalistic uh, 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 necessity being done by other journalists for mainstream outlets, uh, not just in general, but it, with these same people. So, to give you an example of one of the most egregious incidents that has not yet been, it's not been reported on anywhere. I've been trying to put it out for years. You know, my Twitter accounts keep getting banned. It'll go in my memoirs, which will come out next year. But you know, not a lot of outlets are going to be happy to be happy to promote that book. But uh, Adrian Chen who wrote for, worked for Gawker back in the day, back in the time uh, when I was mostly active, uh, him and John Cook, who later became the first editor of The Intercept, which is odd, uh, they did a number of things that uh, we have access to because they were in Jeremy Hammond's criminal discovery, for instance, uh, Is in their interactions with Sabu at Jermont School, the exact no, same I'm sorry, let me, let me
0: stop you for just one second there. Yep. I sure. want to clarify for people. There's a great libertarian activist named Jeremy R. Hammond who wrote the book obstacle to peace about America's role in the Israel Palestine conflict and all that totally different. Jeremy Hammond. That's why he uses the R I'm pretty sure so that we know the difference, but you're talking about Jerry, Jeremy Hammond, the hacker who was, I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but was busted by this uh, rat Sabu, right?
1: He he was, he was entrapped essentially. I mean, the the, uh, strapper hack was, was under the control of the FBI before it was passed on to Hammond. Um, that that's not even that's documented. It's just one of those things that just doesn't matter these days. Uh, but anyway, so, and so Sabu, Hector Monsignor, that same snitch, was also in talks over the, you know, over about a course of a year, off and on with, you know, with uh, Adrian Chen and others at Gawker and other journalists as well. And we have transcripts showing Adrian Chen asking Sabu to give them uh Stolen materials that they supposedly had hacked from a uh, UK outlet—they actually didn't have. Of course, uh, Adrian Chin did not realize that he was talking to someone using an FBI laptop, laptop at that point, and so was willing to say, like, you know, things like, "We'll give you, uh, we'll give you Sabu, you know, Sabu at Gawker.com. We'll give you server space. We'll make a donation to uh, Mustafa Albasams, uh, which is better known as t to his legal defense, in exchange for this, uh, we have Adrian Chen doing a number of things. Oh, and also encouraging me earlier uh, in G-, G chats that are also part of my discovery, uh, encouraging me to dox uh, Pentagon officials, to, to dox those at Quantico uh, who were uh, guarding Chelsea Manning at the time. Uh, when we were simply at that point, uh, our operation was just to to call them and ask them why you're doing this. I mean, so so we have a, we have people who uh, who have gone on to work for the New York Times, New Yorker, all kinds of outlets who attacked WikiLeaks and, and uh, Anonymous and, and me, like, for instance, and Jeremy Hammond, went to re- fundraisers for us and wrote articles for Gawker, like making fun of the fundraiser while I was under a gag order in prison, uh, claiming over and over again or, or this sort of shifting claim that I had made up a kidnapping in Mexico, which Adrian Chen started this claim. It was later repeated by the New York Times and The Atlantic and so forth. Uh, and then also doing things that would be absolutely considered statute violations had any of us done them. And I've been, been looking into this for a couple of years. I've been asking about it, asking his editors, asking John Cook. I mean, of course, John Cook was editor at The Intercept, which I won a national magazine award for. So you would think I would be able to get him to answer a question. Uh, and it's become very clear that they have been, well, from that and other things, including some of the articles they've done uh, that they did back then, where they dealt with FBI cooperators um, and cited them as. Uh, credible sources on things, they have been working in tandem with the FBI against this movement for years, uh, and doings. And because this implicates and and is embarrassing for a number of outlets uh, who publish their stuff, uh, who who have published other things that they they wrote that were demonstrably false. Uh, this is something that has been very difficult to get uh, to to bring into the, in the public consciousness, and it's unfortunately because of a lot of the conflicts that have played out in the last several years uh, within the transparency movement—it's been difficult for me to get uh, to convince you know those who, who have more pull than I do, more 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 of a voice, since I've been you know again I've, I've been pretty well silenced uh, effectively the last few years uh, to run with this, and so it's 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 been difficult. And the, the Adrian Chin example I'm citing this is one of many that are documented. They're documented by the DOJ, like transcripts from the DOJ that. No one involved in this has been willing to explain, and that everyone involved has has kept their mouth shut about. Some of this stuff came out in 2013, 2014. Uh Dell Cameron then wrote a great article uh about Adrian Chen and his combinations with Sabu and his attempts to basically buy stolen materials from underage Britons. Uh stolen materials supposedly taken from a press outlet. And you, know, you can do, look at that article and then look at the articles that, that uh, Adrian Chen continued to write for The Nation and for uh, New Yorker and so forth and stuff he put out, and you can see there's something very, very wrong here. Uh, so that that's the best – that's another element of this that uh, I, I, I've been trying for years to get it uh, – t- to make this clear that this is one of the major narrative points of all this that need to be, need to be shown, that the, that the mainstream media outlets uh, and particularly reporters who are friendly with the intelligence community and FBI – can do whatever they want, whatsoever, uh, in opposition to journalism, like you know, engaging, you know, engaging in disinformation, engaging in libel, engaging in uh, espionage for the U.S., whatever. And on the contrary, in the very same cases with the very same people involved, those of us who are dissidents, who are regarded as as enemies uh, of the DOJ and FBI and so forth, or Palantir, or you know, Bank of America, whoever has more pull. Uh, we can obviously they will cast about for things to charge us with, and then lie about them if they can't find anything. And uh, this is this is all the more worrisome because something very like very much like the Stratford deal and something very uh, similar to the things that played out back then uh, are is going on right now as we speak. And we have a four-hour recording of an FBI meeting in Los Angeles late last year that I've made public a few days ago in, in entirety. Uh, plus other documents, uh, including FBI correspondence with some of their assets, uh, assets corresponding with each other, uh, that that demonstrate uh, part of what we've come across here, which is that there is an ongoing FBI operation that's very dangerous and, and rather insidious, and has been uh, that we now have enough about we know we now know enough about and can document enough about to really move forward with it and start uh, explaining. Uh, what people need to look out for and, and what comes next. And so I hope to uh, be able, to the extent possible, summarize a little bit more of that uh, in a moment. Mm-hmm.
0: Hold on just one second. Be right back. So you're constantly buying things from amazon.com. Well, wow, that makes sense. They bring it right to your house. So what you do though, is click through from the link in the right-hand margin at scotthorton.org. And I'll get a little bit of a kickback from Amazon's end of the sale. Won't cost you a thing. Nice little way to help support the show. Again, that's uh, right there in the margin at scotthorton.org. Hey, you want to know what industry is recession-proof? Yes, you're right, of course, pot. Scott Horton here to tell you about Green Mill Supercritical Extractors. The SFE Pro and Super Producing Parallel Pro can be calibrated to produce all different types and qualities of cannabis crude oils for all different purposes. These extractors are the most important part of your cannabis oil business for precision, versatility, and efficiency. GreenMillsSuperCritical.com Hey y'all, Scott here. If you want a real education in history and economics, you should check out Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. Tom and a really great group of professors and experts have put together an entire education of everything they didn't teach you in school but should have. Follow through from the link in the margin at scotthorton.org for Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. Now is that the Project Swartz?
1: so project schwartz uh you know just like project hastings both of them named for dead colleagues of mine um you know schwartz incidentally was involved with project pm a little bit he helped us investigate uh, persona management back in 2011 um that's
0: aaron schwartz the project, guy that invented rss feeds and was hounded he, to death by federal officials and killed himself yeah back. he's
1: a vastly prolific activist he was like you know like me he was trying to to uh you know ring the alarms about strap about trap wire only to be drowned out by uh by you know uh other individuals like adrian Chen uh and noah shachman who's now the editor of the daily beast uh yeah uh was very heavily involved in a lot of things on on the right side of things and yes was hounded for that for that reason and others uh ultimately killed himself uh i mean
0: people if you haven't seen it you have to see the documentary the internet's own boy and if you're not you know an anti-government extremist on the end of that you got no soul
1: yeah (laughs) absolutely um yeah, and that's another thing that some of these, these issues are very, they're very saddening. Like it, it wears on one and it's been, it's taken a toll on me to have to spend the last few years investigating all these nuances. Cause uh, no, very few people come out looking good. Very and few people. You who know are, what? Hastings,
0: Hastings was a friend of mine too, as I think, you know. Uh, yes. And, and on that subject, I have not been a truther on his death just cause his brother did this interview with a reporter explaining that he really believed that it was a suicide. And I thought, and that he was even in L.A. to help Michael at the time because he was having some kind of crisis. And I thought, well, who could argue with that? But obviously, and it's in his book, there's no question about it, the SAS officer embedded with um, Stanley McChrystal's team there outright, not joking around, threatened to murder Hastings if he published the stuff that he did publish in Rolling Stone that got McChrystal fired. So... That's not nothing. And, of course, a single car accident on its face is mysterious. So I wonder if you have an opinion about what happened to him.
1: Yeah, my chief concern with Hastings, who was a big major press critic, that's uh, actually how we met back in 2010 uh, or 2009, I think 2010. Uh, my concern with Hastings' situation there is that the FBI was asked, you know, via FOIA requests and so forth, like, you know, right after Hastings died, you know, did you have files on him, blah, blah. They, got, they lied several times. They claimed they had no documents. And a few months later, okay, we have a couple – and at the same time, like in my, at my gag order hearing, which is the transcript is public now, um, they mentioned Michael Hastings in that gag order hearing uh, as one of the people i had spoken to on the phone and, and uh, you know, in the weeks prior and admitted the, the uh, FBI agent, Robert Smith, admitted that he had documents, notes compiled from that conversation and the recording of the conversation. So right there is another example of something they have not, that they failed to provide the FOIA requests. The fact that Mueller himself, um, according to a, a FBI a uh, press person in the LA office, um, you know, their, their communications about this FOIA request were later made public as well. The fact that Mueller was, by their account, calling over there to ask about this and, and uh, so forth uh, gives some, some, I think, some weight to uh, how important it is that this actually be gotten right. And hey, so Hastings and the public, the public that he served. Ultimately, was not well served by, by the way in which the press kind of initially accepted, like, oh, the FBI says they weren't investigating so he must be silly and crazy to, to have thought that. Uh, beyond that, Hastings was a partner of mine in a lot of things, including in optunisia. Uh, he, he, uh, he was all of my emails, which were all criminal discovery, you know, in, in my discovery and so forth, surveilled, taken by the FBI. He was, you know, he mentioned about to, being, about to do an article on me uh, in one of his last tweets uh, the idea that that everyone who donated to my legal defense fund was uh, was revealed by the FBI in this in this weird subpoena that they later got sued for, and that Michael Hastings was not under uh, you know, being looked at, uh, despite being named in a Vanity Fair article I wrote as someone involved in Project PM, is ludicrous. And again, but more to the point, we we can already prove that they lied. Um, so that that's that's the main thing. You know, it's it's, it's really not my job, as I see it. To anticipate what is plausible and what's not, and all that, uh, and, and to speculate that's about
0: the that's, that's totally.
1: But, but 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 it, but it is very important. It's absolutely important that that we find find out why the FBI li- FBI lied and what that you know because that's they're lying about a dead journalist uh, who who we know they had documents on, and that's a, that should be a big deal. And that's and I'm concerned that a lot of the press doesn't realize that. Anyway, so but anyway, so Project Schwartz. It was it, the, the intent of it. Yes, it, there was two things that I was concerned about looking back at the last ten years. Uh, the, the two things that made it impossible for us to make good use of the sacrifices that people like Schwartz, Hastings, and all like my volunteers and people, other people who, who were doing in these investigations, two things that made it, made it impossible for us to make use of these sacrifices and these materials for the good of the public, and those things were press malfeasance uh, and the ongoing, and that's what Project Hastings is intended to turn up documents and, and push back on, and the. The very very little understood, but, but well documented uh, tendency of the FBI to deploy different sorts of assets—some who know their assets and have correspondence with their FBI handlers and all that—some of whom are compensated against uh, transparency activists and, and and you know black activists and you know whoever the FBI traditionally goes after—in uh, ways that are just vastly illegal, uh, uh, indefensible, uh, and, and which ultimately make it impossible to be an effective activist without, uh, finding yourself sort of drowning in a sea of misinformation, uh, targeting harassment and so forth. And so Project Schwartz is intended to document, uh, the ones we know about because a lot of, a lot of these assets, uh, are unstable and they, they, you know, not that I'm not, but they're stable in a different way. And they do tend to get in fights with their handlers, with each other, uh, and they leak out their own communications. And so we have, uh, 105 megabytes if people go to my pins tweet on my uh, Twitter page there, Barrett B. They'll, you can download it right there. Uh, communications between people who are still actively uh, involved in some of these things, who are still actively uh, involved in what is supposedly anonymous right now, like Neil Reihouser, uh talking to their FBI handlers about those of us they targeted 10 years ago. Uh, so that leads into this this ongoing issue, uh, which is the best way I can summarize is, is as such. Uh, recently there was a hack done of Epic, which is a server, you know, a company that, you know, serves as a server for a lot of, uh, far right groups and neo-Nazi groups and so forth and, and, and many other things besides that. Uh, it is inarguable that the hack occurred. Um, but the, 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 the way that many press outlets, including some who have been told otherwise and shown otherwise, have presented this, and the way that some of those involved have presented it, is not at all uh, what actually happened. Uh, this hack was, was ongoing. It was done by someone, an individual, who was known to us, I'll just put it that way. It was passed on, as these things often are, to another person named Aubrey Cottle, who goes by the name Kurt Tanner, uh, who has been promoted in recent weeks by Vice and by a weird UK outlet called Tech Monitor. Uh, as the founder of Anonymous, uh, who was is, who is motivated by his support for Black Lives Matter and so forth. Uh, and uh, this hack, and that we need not you know, worry about what happened with this hack, what may have been obfuscated, uh, so forth, because, you know, he goes way back, blah, blah, In reality, uh, this person, Aubrey Cottle, uh, is an admitted uh, longtime FBI cooperator, cooperator with Interpol, and cooperator with the Canadian uh, police and, and um, intelligence community. Again, by his own admission over the last 10 years. Some people have been tracking him for a while, documenting these, taking screenshots, so forth. Uh, he is also someone who has hosted child pornography by his own admission. Uh, he claims it was for, a, uh, for Interpol, you know, to, to, uh, to entrap pedophiles and so forth. That's another issue. But, uh, you know, uh, the Atlantic article that came out last year that was written by Dale Barron, who, who was um, – did actually did a pretty good job in general of, of writing about these things Anonymous – and, and who, who did document, you know, Aubrey Cottle's known relationship with the authorities. Uh, that was the first article that kind of helped to present this, this sudden new claim that this guy is a founder of Anonymous or is an activist or anything. Uh, and so working with Aubrey Cottle on this, it's not just that Aubrey Cottle has in the past admitted over and over again to and, – and changes stories on these things a number of times. It is that he is openly working with Neil Rawhauser, who is the individual – the FBI cooperator and former InfraGuard member – InfraGard is the FBI private sector uh, partnership uh, – who targeted me and others and who helped to get me denied bond 10 years ago uh, over swatting attacks that he had done that I had nothing to do with. Um, that guy is his handler or one of his handlers. And they have not even hid this very well, or, or much at all, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you demonstrate all of
0: this it. on your Twitter feed, or yes.
1: what? Yes, I already have. Yeah, so, the, so the, all the raw materials, all these things I'm, I'm telling you right now are all, they're all uh, things that have others involved, like Laurie Love, uh, other individuals who've been involved in this movement, other journalists, uh, Jamie L. Coleman, who has uh, documented all of us for a long time. These are all things that they're aware of, have been brought, made aware of in the last few weeks, and uh, the things we put out, we've, we've shown the materials on. So, so uh, yeah, so I'm... Uh, when I go after someone, or when I, on the very rare occasion I call someone an FBI cooperator or accuse someone who's supposedly an activist or something else, mm. um, it's not. It's not until I've done several months, of pretty intensive research with dozens of other people, and this is this is one of those rare cases. Well, now, do you
0: have a, a full article about it of your own? Because the Twitter thread uh, is no, one thing there, but
1: there's a couple of articles that one of my associates uh who, who goes by uh, karma 61 uh has written has, has put up on some posts that go into, that document Aubrey coddle's his tweets in the past screenshots of his of his racist anti-semitic uh, posts over the last 10 years including just a year ago and his FBI stuff and so forth uh so that's that is uh that's available on there and it, it's links to in some of these threads and I'll after, you know when this interview goes up I will when I post this link, I will below that post the most useful links to the uh, the best compiled uh, documents on this. But this stuff, a lot of this stuff has been uh, circulating for more than a year in some cases. Uh, and some of it, I just became aware of the situation more recently, and I've only had a few months to investigate this and these other individuals involved. Uh, but in that time, we've been able to, to compile what's already out there and then uh, and then interview people close to them, people who were taken in you know, by Coddle and these other people. Uh, and then review this FBI recording that kind of helps to fill in some of the gaps. And so we, we have, we don't know everything, obviously we don't know the level of individual, other, other individuals, complicity in some of these things. Uh, but we do know, like I do know from talking to other people who've been my colleagues for 10 years, like Greg House, who I used to trust, you know, uh, with my life, uh, we had determined that some of these individuals, uh, are not talking, uh, not answering questions about this and, and know perfectly well, uh, what's happening. And so, uh, this is, again, this is something that this has been a major uh, unprecedented situation, uh, very difficult for everybody involved, but it, it is something that is, is, uh, vastly well compiled and documented, uh, which is one of the reasons why a number of the things that have been happening last week or so uh, have happened. Uh, it's, it's a strong case. It's just something that we, and yes, we do have some articles, uh, and some of the things I'm mentioning, like, again, we're in the Atlantic article that Jared Brown wrote last year. You can, I mean, he goes into Aubrey Cottle's, uh, early relationship with the uh, authorities in Canada. Uh, I don't think he has, you know, he was obviously given a, a partial uh, version of that, definitely incomplete version, and and relied you know, by necessity on things he was told by Cottle and a few others, but uh, and he's also, Dale Barron has also been good enough to kind of uh, take back some of his the impression he gave, which is that Aubrey Cottle was the founder of Anonymous uh, in some of his tweets regarding that article, but so what I'm saying is that these are, everything I'm saying here is, has already been is already uh, available to anyone who wants to verify them it's just not very well compiled that's one of my reasons of coming on here and I, I seem to come on today is because uh, there needs to be a comprehensive sort of overview of this and uh, there are some other articles forthcoming uh, but right now unfortunately we're at this early stage where uh, a lot of individuals involved are embarrassed or uh, or whatever uh, perhaps have acted wrongly have not you know, not properly looked at warnings that some of us have given them. Uh, and, other, and some of the media outlets involved are understandably, as usual, uh, reluctant to uh, to go into this, given how embarrassing this this is to a journalist to you know, present someone as the founder of Anonymous, blah, blah.
0: Well, you know, uh, I mean, some of the
1: outlets involved, so, yeah.
0: So there's a couple of places on your Twitter feed where people are saying, how dare you call me a Fed? I'm not a Fed, screw you. And then you say, but I didn't say you were a Fed. I just said that your friend was... This, this, kind of this thing. is this
1: is very common. This is a very common, and some of it just is pretty typical, like people's reactions to any kind of accusation, uh, it, which is to kind of unconsciously or consciously obfuscate it to to claim. You know, if I say, "Oh, look, you're, you're you've been used by an FBI cooperator," like I'm not the head of the FBI. How dare you? I mean, this unfortunately that works among a certain demographic. Um, it doesn't really convince It doesn't really convince anyone who looks very hard at the situation, but it does help to create the the illusion to people just sort of passing by, looking at this sh- briefly that this is drama or everybody's accusing everyone of everything. And so it's a circular firing squad. Yeah. And that is very much why people like Neil are who who's one of the key elements of this, uh, and and uh, Elizabeth Shaw, who uh, goes by Libby in Philly on Twitter and is his is other handler, that's why they they do this. They they have a – Libby Shaw, at the very least, is, is trained, well-trained. That's that's the assessment of a lot of people who have documented her professionally for the last few years. Neil Rauhauser less so. But both of them have have a number of sort of uh, strategies, tactics that they use, and one of them is to make counter accusations uh, sometimes before they do something, so that anyone coming to look at it is like, oh, it's like, oh, this is all—it's all in the weeds, you know. And of course, it's in the weeds where these things happen, and that's one been one of the big difficulties of the last ten years in, in, in documenting and warning about these threats uh, because they. Uh, the intelligence community and intel- private contractors and those who do this for ideological reasons or whatever or because they're being used by someone else uh, you know they they uh, they don't need to maintain a a, uh, a audience or a support network of people who really want facts and are very careful that's not not who the pe- people that they tend to uh, cultivate uh, nor could they and so it, it makes sense for them to do what you know Libby and Neil Neilrouser and Kurt have done in the last few few months in particular which is to claim over and over again that me and my associates have threatened to murder them or uh, hired a, or uh, uh, did a murder-for-hire plot or that I was just being set up this murder for this murder-for-hire plot by somebody else. I mean, just on and on and on uh, because it does ultimately make it harder for us, those of us uh, who are involved in this on, on my end, to do our job, which is to uh, bring clarity to the situation. Mm-hmm. And it works to a certain extent. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, famously, there's... the uh, COINTELPRO the counterintelligence program unleashed mostly on the left but not entirely uh, also against the Klan and all other different groups I guess across the country back in the days of J. Edgar Hoover and there's been you know the, the the most powerful kind of uh you know remnant of that sort of thing has been the frame up jobs against Muslims in America over the last 20 years which you know speaking of the intercept it's um Uh, good old, uh, oh man, it's on the tip of my tongue, Aaron, um, what's his name, the good guy, uh, that wrote the Terror Factory, Uh, Trevor Aronson, that's what it is, Trevor Aronson uh, wrote the Terror Factory about the FBI, and I think it's, we're up to like 350, you know, innocent idiots entrapped into saying they love Osama, or some kind of hitting a button on a fake bomb, or this kind of thing, Um, but now, so the kind of deal you're talking about here, it's a different sector being targeted, but it's the same targeters and I get questions a lot from people, including at an event I did last weekend, you know, how do you, uh, Chuck D said, you know, you cannot run and hide, but it shouldn't be suicide to try to be an activist. Right. So, uh, how do people, you know, engage in especially alternative politics outside of the two major parties, for example, and protect themselves, from being entrapped or being, you know, framed up or having their new best friend get them in trouble on, you know, some FBI thing, because it can be pretty intimidating when, like, let's face it, these are the Waco killers. And the FBI, the Department of Justice, are some of the most ruthless people on the planet, and as you can testify firsthand. But we've seen the damage that they can do. So what's the average guy to do If he wants to become an activist, but protect himself from getting hit by the feds like this.
1: It's vast. First of all, the first thing to do is to acknowledge that this is vastly difficult and to acknowledge that uh, contrary to the assumptions of a lot of Americans in the last 20 years, um, not everyone is going to be able to assess a complex situation as quickly as they might like to. And not everyone is clever enough to be immune to uh, tactics that are used to confuse and they've been cultivated and developed, partially openly and partially in secret, by intelligence communities and police groups for 100 years, starting with the with the under the czar. Um, you know, that's the first thing. And once someone acknowledges that, then they're ready to listen, to, listen and 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 read, and uh, start assessing uh, who is and who is not uh, a credible source in the situation. So. To toot my own horn, like I would cite myself as someone who did, you know, face out 105 years in prison. Uh, I've been a journalist for a long time. Uh, I have – and I will answer any question about any of these things. There's never a point at which I'm going to like to, – to refuse to answer for my actions. Uh, that is in contrast to like, you know, some of the individuals, you know, involved who have been defending sort of uh, – uh, defending these people on the other side. So that doesn't help everyone. Obviously, you can just come to Barrett Brown and be like, hey, tell me, you know, you're God King Barrett Brown. Tell us what what to believe. You know, that's that's not a viable strategy. Uh, what what the real solution is beyond that is to start documenting as this is what Project Schwartz was intended to do. And we've been disrupted a bit um, while we pursue this uh, to document uh, and present. Uh, the the backstory, the the doc, you know, the, the materials that we have on individual cooperators and how they how they do these things. And that way when someone else and what their you know what their fake you know what their puppet accounts are and so forth, what their names they use, and make that, uh, just like we did at Project PM, make that the first search result, you know, that people are gonna find when they encounter these people. So Neil Rayhauser, for instance. Has, worked, has successfully infiltrated, like, groups of, of, of you know, working groups of, of reporters who, you know, get together on Signal or whatever and, and they kind of hash things out and investigate, you know, things that need to be investigated. Uh, because Rauhauser uh, and so forth are very good at concealing uh, their background and, and obfuscating things, uh, you know, no, no one was the wiser. Now, now, had there been somewhere where they could Google Neil Rauhauser. And they find a page that we have showing his FBI correspondence that he, he himself actually leaks to me a couple of years ago, incidentally. That's a great example of how we get these things because he was hoping I would help him go after his former handler. When, of course, in fact, what I'm actually going to do is go after everybody. Uh, you know, they had found those you know, a summary like here's Rehauser, here's his admissions to, not me claiming it, not someone anonymous on the internet claiming it, here is his admissions and bragging about his FBI cooperating stuff, and here's him, you know, putting out his information, here's his seven contradictory versions of the same events, blah, blah. That would make it a lot easier for a journalist or for an activist uh, to know this is the person I'm dealing with. And that would help to immunize people who are at risk or who might actually become, as often happens, a vector for disinformation uh, or for you know harassment of actual activists and actual journalists it would help them to to assess who this person is and who are the people that they that they're telling me to go after uh, now that also you know another example is there's FBI agents who they come up oftentimes they're they're the ones who you know they show up uh, as handlers of people who are investigating going after activist groups and so uh, there's a number of people who have approached me about different, you know, names, you know, FBI agents who are you – know, some. Some of them retired since the last 10 years. Some of whom are very active. And you know, if they if they happen to know to come ask me or ask somebody else who who follows these things, investigates them, then sure we can point out, like, look, here's here's this who's operandi. Here's what he'll probably try to tell you. Uh, here's you know, here's him telling the same person this like 10 years ago. Here's you know what his cooperators have done. And so here's how you can respond. Here's some resources that will give you information, access to other, other groups that can help you and blah, blah. Uh, that would that would go a long way towards uh, eradicating the FBI's ability to do what it's successfully done over and over again for the last 50 years, which it will do for forever if we let it, which is to disrupt any movement that opposes the whims of its individual members. Uh and that's what we're trying to do. And unfortunately, because we were trying to do that, because that was our aim, uh, that Aubrey Cottle person, this, this FBI cooperator and his, and his other people, uh, came into, were brought into my groups, uh, late last year around the time this FBI meeting in LA, uh, and started talking about hacks and, uh, uh, you know, we were all kind of nervous about this. And then in July, after I got a, out of, uh, the internment center here in the UK and, uh, so forth, and, and got the FBI recording and so forth, in, in July uh, we caught uh, this person's girlfriend, Aubrey girlfriend uh, Libby Shaw Elizabeth Shaw, uh, claiming privately to people in my circles that uh, we had been overseeing these hacks on, on Kurtaner's server uh, whereas in fact Kurtaner has bragged about these hacks to Vice Magazine and so forth over and over again and we don't engage in hacks and we're, you know, we're all journalists so this is a great example of because of that, because we were now being set up by someone who's working with Neil Raheuser and whose server was provided by Neil Raheuser and Neil Raheuser having been someone who has successfully set up activists, including me before in ways that are very documented. uh, We had no choice, but to basically start shutting down our groups to go to to our person at Yale law, uh, make them aware of these things uh, and start uh, researching uh, everything we could about this and investigating. And, uh, and so that's an example of, of, the great thing about Project Schwartz and the great thing about what I do is that uh, we don't have to go out looking looking for FBI cooperators and FBI agents. Uh, they come to us and then it comes down to are we more clever than they are? Are we luckier than they are? And sometimes we are. In this case, we, we are. And my hope is that us having been lucky enough to be able to prevent, say, members of, of black activist groups in the U.S. or indigenous leaders in Canada who are in my signal channels or were. Uh, us have been lucky enough to have determined Aubrey Cottle was logging these channels uh, and then bragged about giving to the FBI and, and bragged about uh, these other things uh, that now that we can impress upon the public and elements of the press and the activist community that's still at risk that this is serious stuff, that's not drama uh, and that everyone needs to start pushing back against the FBI and its cooperators and that starts with knowing who they are uh, determining you know, who, who can be trusted to tell you that uh, and, and basing that trust on what documents they can present you, uh, what admissions by those involved they can give you. Uh, basically sorting out what makes sense, what's credible and what isn't. That's obviously, that's obviously a, a tall order. That would be a great thing for the entire Western world at this point to start working on those issues. You know, is the New York Times automatically credible? Is this person I met on the internet automatically credible? Is a, you know, is a talking head, kind of like icon of the activist community, automatically credible? No, never. Neither am I. Uh, credibility only comes from a, a difficult and ongoing process of, of uh, assessing who has been right, who maintains the same narrative over time, and who doesn't. And so that's what people need to do.
0: All right, man, to wrap up here, uh, I got wiki, And where else should people be looking?
1: Uh, so for right now there's there's several of us you know I'm, I'm kind of on the, f- the the face of this this effort uh, because I'm used to taking fire uh, so my, my Twitter account Barrett brius is still mainly where a lot of these things are being compiled uh, I'll be doing another interview uh, with counterpunch uh, in the coming days uh, and there probably will be a couple articles and more mainstream outlets uh, in the next week or two uh, but so the Barrett, the Barrett B I I think underscore no just Barrett B Twitter account uh, Is where uh, people can now find, currently find the material they need uh, and the material that we'll keep posting, summaries, uh, also, you know, material put out by other researchers uh, and the individuals who will be coming forward now, uh, now that we've kind of taken uh, taken the wind out of the sails uh, of, of the FBI and their cooperators and who are now more uh, willing to come forward. Uh, you know, I, I should I should just note that these, the, the things that are done to those of us uh, who stumble upon these these plots and expose them are pretty uh, pretty difficult to, to contend with. They're, 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 they they weigh on one. They, they they endanger one's immediate associates and so forth. And so, for that reason, a lot of people, uh, totally understandably, uh, who are on this, who are helping us to investigate, uh, have been waiting to come forward. Uh, that will start to change in the next few days, and you'll and people will see more people, individuals they trust, who have been prosecuted. who have uh, have refused to uh, cooperate, refused to endanger others by setting precedent, letting the DOJ set precedents? they will come forward more openly about this. And so those, as they do, all of that uh, can be found on my Twitter account there. Unfortunately, I I don't have my Medium page anymore. The the Metropolitan Police has my devices I can't post there. Uh, I I don't have the same ability to, to put out things as I used to. So that will have to do, that Twitter account, until it gets deleted like the others.
0: All right. So check it out, you guys. It's uh, Barrett Brown, Barrett B on Twitter, and that's two R's and two T's in Barrett. Thanks again for your time. Great to talk to you, Barrett.
1: Thank you very much for having me on.
0: The Scott Horton Show and Anti-War Radio can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSradio.com, Antiwar.com, ScottHorton.org, and LibertarianInstitute.org.